0: Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4. Uh, We're going to be looking at James chapter 4, uh, verses 11 and 12. So just two verses this morning. Uh, If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, you can grab one of the black pew Bibles in the pew rack right in front of you and you'll find our text this morning on page 1013. 1013. James chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12. As you find your way there, I want to invite you with me once more, if you are able, if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. James 4, starting verse 11. neighbor let's pray father verses like these are very very easy to understand but they are oh so hard to obey and so father as we take a look at these two verses and as we consider what they have to say to us this morning we ask for your spirit's help not just to understand to know what the words mean and and what they're saying and how they tie together with uh, James's argument in this context, but Father, I pray that you would help us to know how we might walk in obedience to them. Father, I pray that uh, that you would expose through the power of your Holy Spirit areas in our own hearts and in our own lives where we sin against uh, this Word. I pray, Father, that you would give us the grace that we need to repent, to humble ourselves before the Lord, so that you can lift us up. We ask your blessing on the preaching and on the hearing of your word now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, one of the phrases that we used to say to each other all the time, one of the phrases that got tossed around on the playground during school was, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. Did you guys ever hear that or say that growing up? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. Anybody who has lived for one millisecond knows that that is completely and totally untrue. Words can hurt. Sticks and stones can hurt too, right? Sticks and stones can leave cuts and bruises, but words can cut much deeper than just that, can't they? Your words matter. The words that you say matter. It might seem like a simple statement, but it is a profound truth, isn't it? Your words matter. Words matter so much that they can, in fact, change the course of history. As I was (coughs) studying through this sermon, as I was studying through this text, and thinking through the way that words have changed the world, I find myself getting distracted on YouTube. Uh, and watching the speech from President Ronald Reagan when he was in Berlin. Standing there, the Berlin Wall is behind him, and he says those famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Simple phrase, simple statement, but a phrase that changed the course of history. found myself watching another speech by a man, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, talking about a dream that he had. right A dream that people would be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Words have power to change the course of history. In the same way, words are very dangerous things. They can cause hurt, and they can cause damage that will last a lifetime. Each one of us has been guilty of this. Each one of us have been in a situation before Where we've said something and immediately we've regretted it. Right? It's almost like you can see the words coming out of your mouth, and you want to reach out and grab them before they reach the ears of your listener and pull them back in. But life doesn't work that way, does it? Once you say something, those things sometimes they just can't be unsaid. So I'm sure all of us have had that experience before. We wish we could take it back. Your words matter. Well, as we've studied through the book of James over the course of this last year, we've seen how James teaches us the dangers of the tongue, the pitfalls of this little bitty member in our body and the way that this little bitty member can set the world on fire. In, in James chapter 1, verse 19, he says uh, that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. In chapter 1, verse 26, he says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he is deceived and his religion is worthless. In chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, James says that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, and the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell. He goes on in that passage to say that you can tame animals... You can put a bit in a horse's mouth and and tame a horse, but no human being can tame the tongue. He says it is a restless evil that's full of deadly poison. Everything that James says about the tongue, both in in passages that we've already studied today and and in our passage that we're going to look at this morning, every single thing that James says about our speech, about our tongues, is a reflection of his brother's teaching, of Jesus' teaching, Uh, from Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. We've looked at this passage before as we've considered uh, James and how he deals with the tongue, but in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus says that it's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak. So in other words, what you say is a reflection of the genuineness of your faith in your heart. It's out of the the, overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Now, our text this morning falls right in line with what James has already taught us concerning our tongues, concerning our words. And if we are to live according to godly wisdom, wisdom that is from above that he talked about in chapter 3, verse 13, then we need a cure for our selfish and covetous and jealous and self-righteous hearts. We need a cure for our hearts. And the answer to our sinful and greedy hearts, James tells us, in our text from last time, in, in, in chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, that we looked at, we need to recognize our sin, we need to be broken over our sin, we need to repent of our sin, and humble ourselves under the Lord. And James says, if we do that, in verse 10, he says, if we do that, then God will lift us up. So we need new hearts. And if we have new hearts, if we trust in Jesus, and if we believe in the gospel of Christ, and He has given us a new heart, then it necessarily follows that we will speak new words. Because out of a new heart, new speech comes. Your salvation will change the way that you talk. It will change it, necessarily. The words that you say, especially words that you say about other people, especially words that you say about your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the point of these two very straightforward, very clear little verses that we're going to look at now. So what we've seen in these verses, first is a command, and then two reasons why James gives that command. So that's going to be the structure of, of our sermon this morning Uh, there's a command that's given and then there are two reasons for the command that's given so if you're taking notes point number one there the command the command that's given do not slander one another very simple very straightforward command look down in verse 11 verse 11 he says do not speak evil against one another brothers There's the command. Now this word here, do not speak evil against, literally it's one word in Greek and it's literally translated speak against. Do not speak against one another. So this is a very broad and a very general command to not speak against. And depending on what translation you're reading, uh, it, it could be translated a few different ways. So uh, the New Living Translation and the Christian Standard Bible uh, say criticize. Do not criticize one another. The ESV that I'm reading here and that many of you are reading says speak evil against. Don't speak evil against. While well, the New American Standard uh, translates it very literally, right down the road like it usually does, so it just says don't speak against another, one another. And then the NIV translate this, translates this word as slander. Don't slander one another. So which is it? Is it criticize? Is it speak evil against? Is it just you know, gossip, whatever it might be? Well, I think James includes all of those things. So when he gives us this command not to speak against one another, he has all of those things included in, uh, in his mind. Right. So he's saying here that we as fellow believers in Jesus Christ should not verbally attack one another in any way with any intent to cause harm to another person. There may be ways that, there are many ways that this can be done. Right? It can be done through gossip, it can be done through slander, through fighting, backbiting, arguing, false accusations, telling lies. All manner of divisive and hurtful ways that we can tear one another down with our words. But here's the, here's the kicker. I think usually when we think about these things, what immediately pops into our minds uh, are things like slander and gossip, telling things that aren't yours to share, saying things that are false. But here's the deal. Slander and gossip don't have to be lies. They don't have to be falsehoods. A slanderous word might be perfectly true. It might be a perfectly true word. We don't have to tell lies about people in order to defame them or to slander them. Sometimes, if what we know we are saying is true, that may cause us to feel justified in saying it. Like, well, I'm just speaking the truth here. Everybody knows it. You were thinking it. You know, I just said it. But I hope you see this morning that just because something may be true, that doesn't give you the right to open your mouth and say it right the apostle paul says in ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 that's a good verse to write down to look at maybe later as you're thinking back through these things ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 paul says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear So you see, it it doesn't matter if what you're saying is true or false. If it doesn't extend grace, if it doesn't extend grace, if it's corrupting or harmful in any way, then James is saying here, hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. Now that's easy to understand. That's really, really clear. But man, it is so hard to obey isn't it? For every single one of us, it is so hard to obey. Why is it so hard to obey this? Why is it so hard to exercise self-control, especially if what we're saying is true? Why is that so hard? Well, that's a really easy question to answer. It's hard because in our sin, we want to make ourselves look superior. When we slander or when we say things to to cut another person down, typically what we're doing there is trying to build ourselves up by cutting that other person down. So we talk down to people to make ourselves seem as if we are higher than they are. We're going to see in a moment here that the heart of the issue is not truthfulness, but the, the heart of the issue here is humility and love. And James has just told us in verse 10 that we are to humble ourselves before God. Well, if we are really humble before God, then we will have no altitude left for us to talk down to anybody. If we truly humble ourselves between, under the Lord, we will have no altitude left from which to talk down to any person. All of us. If we're humble enough before the Lord, we will recognize that we are all sinners. Every single one of us are sinners, and we all need God's grace and mercy. And God could have justly chosen to absolutely, in our sin, to condemn us and to destroy us, every single one of us in our sin. But He didn't. He sent His Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life that none of us, could ever live in our own strength and to go and to die on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin and to be raised again from the dead so that we who who turn to jesus and put our faith in him and trust in him and seek to walk with him and obey him that we can receive god's mercy and grace so brothers and sisters don't speak evil against each other extend the same mercy that god has given to you to other people i was reading a story about a missionary who uh went to this tribe it didn't say where the tribe was from but went to this tribe uh, out somewhere in the world that had never heard the gospel before had had never even heard the name jesus before and this missionary goes into this community and he, he finds the chief elder of the community Uh, And he goes uh, before the chief of that community and he sits down with him and starts to talk with him and to get to know him and to get to know a little bit about their community there and how uh, he could take the gospel uh, to this place. And so uh, he asked them, one of the questions he asked them was about their laws and their customs, right? Because he wanted to make sure as a missionary that he didn't come in and do anything that was going to hinder his ministry uh, in that area. And so he asked the uh, he asked the chief, this is the missionary that was writing this story, he said, I asked him, you know, what's the worst thing that, that you guys kind of can do? What's kind of viewed as, you know, that, that the worst thing that the, a person could do? And, of course, the missionary is expecting the chief to respond by murdering someone or, you know, something like that. But the chief said this to him, the worst thing that you can do is to slander another person. Well, that kind of took the missionary back. He was like, that's interesting, not over-murder? The worst thing you can do is slander a person? And the missionary wrote, he responded, if you kill a man, you kill him, and he's gone. But if you slander him by destroying his reputation, you have killed him while he's still alive. Isn't that an interesting statement? You kill him while he's still alive. Here's the ironic part about slander. In all of this, right? if we take James's teaching here in this biblical statement, if you speak against a person and seek to tear that person down with your words in order to build yourself up, you might tear that person down. But you never make yourself look any better. If your objective is to set yourself up as superior to them, you will never accomplish that task. What you actually do in tearing that person down is you expose sin and malice in your own heart. And you give every reason to question the legitimacy of your claim to salvation because your tongue is betraying your heart. So don't slander one another. Do not speak evil against one another. James goes on to give us two reasons why we should obey this Two reasons. And that's going to be our next two points. So point number two. Point number two in your notes. This is reason number one. It's point number two, but it's reason number one. To slander another Christian is to disobey God's law. To slander another Christian is to disobey God's law. Look down at verse 11 again. The second sentence there in, in verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother... Or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Right? So James says here in this second part of verse eleven that when we speak evil against our neighbor, and then he goes on to add that if we judge our neighbor, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, we are actually speaking evil against God's law and we're setting ourselves up as a judge over God's law. Now, before we get into the whole issue here of judgment and whether you should or shouldn't and what the Bible says, right, <clears throat> it's a very misunderstood and very misapplied principle in Scripture. But I want us to take up here for a second what James means when he says that we speak against and judge God's law. What does James mean by that? Well, I think very clearly James is referencing here our need to obey this consistent command in scripture to not slander other people. So I sat down this week and I was like okay I'm going to sit down and I'm going to go through the Bible I had my uh concordances out and all these different tools out and word searches and stuff and I was like I'm going to I'm going to write down the reference to every single commandment in the scripture where we're not supposed to slander or speak against another person. And guys, I quickly realized I wasn't going to have time to do this. I would still be up in the office writing these things down if I tried to complete that comprehensive list. So I'm not going to subject you to all of that, but I want to give you two examples from the Scripture, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. There are plenty more. Right? But one, one example, and I think these are kind of the key ones, Okay. So let's look, at, let's look at an example from the Old Testament where God commands us not to speak or judge other people. Right? <clears throat> there are so many passages that James could be referring to here, but I, I think these are the main two. The first one in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, verse 16. In Leviticus 19, verse 16, it says this, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Right? It's interesting that in this passage where Moses says that she is, God is giving his people his law, how they are to live, he says don't go around and slander other people right? and don't stand up against the life of another person. That is, don't, don't try to destroy their reputation uh, and, and cut them down because I am the Lord. Just one verse later, in verse 18, he gives the second greatest commandment. So in Leviticus 19.18, Moses says uh, <clears throat> right, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. For I am the Lord. So this commandment not to slander another person is grounded upon. It's built on the foundation of that second greatest commandment that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. If you slander another person... That is not an act that is done in love. And that is breaking the second greatest commandment. By the way, we're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail in just a second, but it's also breaking the first greatest commandment as well, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? It's breaking that commandment as well, because who is it that gives us this law? It's God himself. And so when we break his law and we maliciously disobey his word, that's not an act that's done in love towards the lawgiver either. So it's breaking the whole of God's law to do this. Another passage, New Testament, that James is surely you know, referring to here. It's his brother's teaching in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, go ahead and flip there. Flip back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It's probably one of the most quoted well-known verses in all of the scripture and i have no doubt that it's one of the most misapplied and misinterpreted passages of scripture probably in the entire bible matthew chapter 7 verse 1 through 5 look there at verse 1 judge not that you be not judged for with judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck or see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And I think it's really clear here that James is arguing that when we slander another person, when we break this clear instruction from all of God's word, we are also guilty of breaking the second greatest commandment of loving our neighbor as ourself. But more than that, James says that we don't just break God's law, we also become judges of God's law. We don't become doers of it. We're not obeying it but we become judges over it. Well, what does that mean, to judge God's law? Well, What James is saying here is that it's, it's like we tell God that we know better than Him. Right? God has commanded us right, to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourself. But in effect, when we disobey God's law, when we set ourselves up as judges over it, we're saying God's perfect and holy law is mistaken. It's, it's, it's a mistake in commanding us to love one another. Maybe perhaps instead, God should have given us the command that we should criticize one another instead. You see how ridiculous that is? We set ourselves up as judges over God's law. We think we know better than God. Okay, so now I want to get to this issue of judgment and whether we should or should not, and what the Scripture says about whether we should or should not judge. Because doesn't the Scripture tell us that we are to call one another out and confront each other in unrepentant sin? It sure does. Matthew chapter 18. Pretty much all of Paul's writings to the church right, talk about this fact that we're to hold one another accountable and that we are to confront one another in unrepentant sin. Doesn't Jesus tell his disciples that one day that they will sit on thrones and judge the nations? He sure does. He does say that. Right? So, what's the deal? Are we to judge or are we not to judge? Well, I think there's some clarity that can be brought, and the answer to the question is Yes. We are called in the Scripture to approach one another humbly and to confront one another, uh, confront unrepentant sin in each other's lives. But there is a major difference. There is a major difference between humbly confronting a brother in their sin and slandering and exercising judgment over that person. I hope you can see that. Right there's a major difference between those two. There's a major difference between biblical judgment and slander. Where's the, well, I think the key is in Matthew 7. Right? You still in Matthew 7? Look down at Matthew 7 and, and, and look at what he says. Do you notice when he says there, you see the speck, the little speck of sawdust that's in, your, in the corner of your brother's eye. But Jesus says, you're not paying attention to the two by four that's hanging out of your own eye. So what does Jesus command him to do in the passage? Leave the speck? Leave the two by four and just close your mouth and ignore things? That's not what Jesus says at all. No, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Remove the two by four in your own eye so that you can then see clearly to get that speck out of your neighbor's eye. Right? He doesn't tell you to leave both the speck and the two by four. No, he tells you to confront in sin, right? He goes on in Matthew chapter 18 to teach us the process that we are to use in confronting one another in sin. He gives us very clear instructions to do this humbly, as an act of unity, to exercise uh, this ministry of reconciliation that God has given to us. So before we move on here, I want to take a second and I want to share just a few thoughts on how we might confront sin in each other's lives in a biblical way and not disobey this commandment, not to stand in judgment over another person. So how can we confront sin in a way that's not judgmental or critical? Well, one, before you confront someone else in their sin, which is something that the Scripture commands you to do, you should pray and ask God to reveal to you your own sin so that you can repent of it first. Take the two-by-four out first so that you can see clearly to remove the speck of sawdust from your neighbor's eye. So before you confront, pray and ask God to show you, to open your eyes so that you can uh, repent of any sin that you might have before you confront your neighbor in sin. This doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect before you confront sin, but it will create an attitude of humility. An attitude of humility before you confront someone. So you don't have to clean yourself up and be perfect before you confront sin. But you do have to have a humble attitude, knowing that you yourself are a sinner. And you need God's mercy just as bad as that person does. So, pray. Secondly, examine your heart and think about your words before you ever say them. Examine your own heart and examine your own motivation as to why it is that you're confronting this person in sin. Are you doing it out of love? Are you doing it out of concern? Are you doing it out of a desire to see them to be made holy and righteous? Or are you doing it in a way that's kind of secretly wanting to cut them down? And think about your words before you ever say them. Make sure that when you confront someone else in their sin, you do it from a heart of love and from an attitude of humility. Number three, don't argue. (laughs) Don't argue with the person, and don't confront a person when you yourself are angry. It's a recipe for disaster to try to confront someone else's sin when you're angry. Don't argue with them about it. And then finally, number four, be biblical in the way, and this is really important. Be biblical in the way that you invite other people into this process. Okay? So here's what I mean by that. You should not confront another person's sin or when you're confronting another person in their sin, don't go talk to somebody else about it first. (laughs) Hey, I got a problem with Joe over here and I'm going to go talk to five people about it just to share a prayer request, you know. Uh, And then... That, that's not what the Bible says to do. What does Jesus say in Matthew 18 that we're to do first? To go to that person first. And to talk to them and to share your heart with them so that by them hearing your words and repenting, that you can win your brother. So go to that person first, not to someone else. To go to someone else first to talk about that person's sin <laughs> That's not biblical confrontation. That's slander. Okay? Now, if that person doesn't repent, then there's a clear path forward where you bring in one or two other trusted individuals to go and to help you so that a a witness might be established, so that testimony might be established. But be biblical in the way that you invite other people in. And don't skip the steps that Jesus lays out in Matthew 18. Okay. Okay. So to sum all this up, when we judge others and we speak evil against them or when we slander them, we are disobeying God's law and we're contradicting his very character because he is the perfect lawgiver. And to value your own opinion above the opinion of God and above God's law is to love yourself more than you love the perfect giver of the law. To take up the position as a judge over God's law is effectively to elbow God off of the throne. And that's our last point. Point number three. This is the second reason that James gives us as to why we should obey his command, not to slander. The second reason is to slander another Christian is to usurp God's authority. It's to usurp God's authority. Look down at verse 12. He says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you To judge your neighbor. Think here in this first sentence in verse twelve, we see the foundation of James's whole reasoning. He says there in verse twelve, There is only one lawgiver and judge. There is only one who is holy. There is only one who is perfect. There is only one who is righteous. There is only one who is able both to save and to destroy. And when we disobey God's law in this way, when we set ourselves up as judges over it, what we are doing is we are saying that we know better than God does. We are more righteous in our judgment than God is. And what does that say about what we are doing with respect to our love for God? We don't love God when we do that. We love ourselves. It's idolatry. So you see here, there is more than just an e- obedience issue here. There's more than just the issue of whether or not you are going to obey or not. Because as we've already seen in James' letter, the law that God gives us is an expression of God's very character. God's commands are not arbitrary. What God has written in His Word, these aren't just the opinions of God. It's who He is. It's His character. And it's who He created us and who He wants us to be as image bearers of Him. God gave us His word that we might know Him. And that we might obey Him. And that we might love Him. And that we might be conformed further into His image. So when we sin against his perfect law, we contradict and we sin against him, first and foremost. And we certainly sin against the one that we slander as well. But that sin is not first and foremost to sin against the one that you slander. Nor is it the first and foremost you also sin against the person that you gossip to. It's a trifold sin here, right? You sin against the person you're slandering, You sin against the person that's hearing you. But first and foremost, you sin against God. And you go against His character. So especially for those of us in this room who are believers, who trust in Jesus, we realize that God most certainly didn't have to save us. He could have justly destroyed us in our sin long, long ago. So I want to close today by asking you this question that James asks. How do you regard yourself? How do you regard yourself? Do you think that you are better than God? Do you think that you know better than God? What do your actions tell you? Do your words reflect humility and grace and godly wisdom? Do you use your words to build others up in holiness? To in a biblical and right way confront their sin? How do you answer James' question here? Who are you to judge your neighbor? James is teaching us here that to exalt ourselves over another person by slandering them is to try to exalt ourselves above God Himself. You can't do that. You can't do that. If we don't do that, or if we do that, and it doesn't, it should call us to question the reality of of the genuineness of our love towards God and the genuineness of our faith in him so brothers and sisters let's continue to pray that god might keep our hearts from growing hardened towards these sins of slanderous speech that we would he would keep us able to discern good words from bad words from evil words i pray that none of us in this room will ever serve as an example of a person and the hardening effects of the heart when we don't repent of our sin. You know, one of the best ways God keeps our hearts tender and our discernment sharp, particularly when it comes to words or passages like this that are so straightforward and so clear. So when we hear hear this text today, we should weep and mourn over our sin, but we should rejoice together that we can repent, that we can know the grace of God, who exalts the humble. Let's pray. Father, these words are so easy to understand, but again, they are so hard to obey. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the way that it so clearly cuts to the heart of our sin. And so, Father, I pray now as, as we come to this time of response, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would examine our own hearts, that we would examine our speech and the way that we talk about other people. Father, I pray that uh, if Your Spirit has uh, is revealed to us an area of sin where we need to repent, perhaps we need to repent first and foremost between, uh, with You and then to another person. Lord, I pray that You would lay that on our hearts now and that we would respond in that way. Father, if there's someone here today who has never placed their faith in You, has never turned away from their sin and, and put their trust in You to be saved, Father, I pray that You will show them their great need for a Savior, And that only one Savior exists. That only you are Savior and only you are Judge. So, Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who have never turned away from their sins and and responded to the gospel in repentance and faith. Father, I pray uh, that you would uh, help them to see their need and help them to put their faith in you. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.